And welcome to the Plant a Trillion Tree podcast. I'm Eva Monheim. And I'm Hal Rosner. We're both certified arborists, credentialed by the International Society of Arboriculture. The purpose of our podcast is to encourage tree planting and proper tree care for our urban forest, which includes neighborhoods, parks, and other open space. We'll also cover the importance of the already existing tree cover and the benefits. So welcome, everybody. Thanks for joining us. This podcast is being recorded on March 5th, 2021. Dwayne Sperber, founder and owner of Woodward Urban Forest Products, has dedicated himself to building the urban wood industry. For nearly 20 years, he has advised on the vast potential of this renewable resource. Dwayne is called on to provide urban wood utilization guidance and products for leaders across sectors, including municipalities, academia, arborists, design professionals, manufacturers, and suppliers. Duane is an appointed member of the Wisconsin Urban Forestry Council and founding member and advisor of the Urban Wood Network. Welcome to the Planet Trillion Trees podcast, Duane. We're delighted to have you on our podcast today. And we can't wait to talk to you about all the wonderful things that are going on in Wisconsin and beyond. I have to say that I've already met you in person through our company, Verdant Earth Educators, and you presented a wonderful uh, topic on urban wood. And you have a company called Woodward Urban Forest Products. And we wanna hear a little bit about how that got started and uh, your passion for wood. Where did it come from? Sure, yes, there's a lot of good questions in there. Well, I don't know where to begin, but the, the passion for wood came from my childhood. We, uh, uh, I grew up on a, on a farm, a, a beef farm, a cattle farm. It was not our primary income. It was, you would, some in Missouri would call it a hobby farm or, you know, uh, a gentleman's farm, so to speak. But uh, we learned how to work. And of course, my, like a lot of us, our, my parents were Depression era, and I was very close with my grandparents. So we knew that uh, while, while we may have had the means to buy things, we would often build them. And for example, I grew up in the house that my father built. We did a lot of building. So wood was, was kind of a big part of my life, not necessarily the appreciation I have now. So I had a knowledge of wood and went on and led kind of a traditional life. And I went to college and graduated and, and worked for a corporation. And, and during some uh, a, a transition period, I left the cor- corporate America and followed my wife's path and career. And right after that, I read an article from Chicago, the Chicago Tribune, about a gentleman uh, doing something with urban wood. And it was one of those stories where a few days later, I was so tr- I was so transformed by the article that a few days later I was standing in front of this gentleman. And I know that sounds dramatic, but it's true. Will you send me fifty bucks if I guess his name? I, I think you know it. Yes, I will. Is it Bruce Horrigan? It absolutely is. Bruce is why Bruce and Erica Horrigan of 
Oregon Urban Forest products, which are members of the network that you will learn more about, are my, my mentors, my, my inspiration. Fantastic. And so I, I stood in front of Bruce and said, what is this all about? And uh, built my first piece of furniture out of urban wood. And I think, I think now is the time to maybe describe, well, what is this urban wood? And I have, there are several fancy definitions here. Uh, urban wood comes from trees that were removed for reasons other than harvest. An example of this wood includes logs removed from urban and, and, and private lands, municipal and, and private landscape uh, companies by homeowners. And the wood was considered for a higher use when it came down. My favorite is urban wood comes from trees where we live. And a, a part of a healthy forest is, is oftentimes part of that management is one day they need to be removed. And when you learn the abundance that I hope you'll hear about today of the trees that do come down in urban areas and communities, um, there is a lot of that. And so when the emerald ash borer entered our world, that's the, the little beetle that is devastating all of the ash trees here in the Midwest to the, to the East Coast, and now it's, it, it's going West. And, and uh, I was a part of some federal conservation programs at the time. And we began to, to think about this urban wood, all of these ash trees coming down, thousands upon thousands upon thousands. And very innocently and casually, we, we kind of got together as a group and said, well, couldn't we or shouldn't we utilize these trees? And that simple statement is what set me on my track. And that was in 2001, 2002, myself and many others. And um, how, do, how, how do we utilize this? Well, and this was a time when sustainable building certifications and things like LEED were coming on. And we were thinking maybe perhaps differently about our building products and, and what kind of materials are we putting into the built environment. So as I went out as, a, as an advocate, as a, as a person on the street talking to those who could use wood, manufacturers, those who could specify it, architects and interior designers, we learned very quickly that just because something's a good idea and you can make a board and, and dry it, doesn't mean they're going to just hop on board. We learned over the next decade that we needed to step into the, to the real world here and, and standardize what we're doing. And so uh, beginning in 2012, us like-minded folks that, that stuck all this out, we began to find each other and, and here in Wisconsin and, and even in Northern Illinois, inspired by folks like the Horgans. And in 2014, we established what's called uh, Wisconsin Urban Wood. And it's a membership of, of the entire supply chain from, from arborist to architect. And becoming a member you're promising to mill and kiln dry to the proper standards to represent urban wood ethically and, and basically to become a brand and we went on to inspire uh, a larger u.s forest service grant project that was going to connect our four surrounding states with the same mission and we were to become the urban wood network so all four states were going to be calling urban wood the same way, promising to process it this way and call it this so that we could get acceptance and confidence in this resource. 
And the day it was launched, this Urban Wood Network, uh, we received calls from across the country, if not the world. And now the Urban Wood Network has members from more than 20 states and Canada, and we're building a, an urban wood industry. And coming down the road, uh, we, we will have the very first um, urban lumber uh, certification. But Woodward was basically founded to, to be a clear path between these non-traditionally sourced trees to the built environment. And I think I've been in business, I think, 11 years now, maybe more, but I've been on the I've been on the mission for nearly 20. And uh, my company is a, a supplier of lumber and architectural woodwork, all created from trees that would have otherwise been wasted. You were mentioning the four states. Do you want to give those four states a shout out? I sure because do. Because I think it's important for our listeners to know who was in that initial togetherness with Urban Wood. Yeah, absolutely. And, and a, lot of, a lot of the inspiration comes right out of the state of Michigan. They were the first and hardest hit uh, uh, with the Emerald Ash Boar. And much of what I do today and much of what I say and much of what I write was born right there in Michigan. Ultimately, you know, the Urban Wood Network is rooted right there. We just kept it going. So Michigan gets a, a big shout out for not, not to glorify their, 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 their the horrible loss of trees, but they were perhaps some of the first that said, well, why don't we utilize these trees? And uh, the, the folks there inspired me. And so the, the, the credit really belongs in Michigan. And then, of course, Illinois was the, was the other state, the state of Missouri, and then, of course, Wisconsin. So what you're saying is from something negative, we can get something really positive, like we're in the middle of this pandemic, and people are saying that what we discover that has happened over this time period. Uh, there's lots of gestation happening. Lots of creative talents are happening. The same thing happened during the Emerald Ash uh, epidemic, if you will. It absolutely did. And, and it inspired someone who had never had in the way of their path to be a lumber supplier. And, and folks have said, boy, how did you decide to do this? And why'd you choose this? The beautiful part of, of my path has been that it evolved very slowly. And, and I was able to, uh, it was blessed to, to be able to respond to needs and, and to organize a company and build just a wealth of, of resources and people around me. And ultimately our, our network, um, let me clarify one thing. You heard me mention Wisconsin Urban Wood inspired this national network. So we went about things kind of backwards, but not really. Wisconsin Urban Wood is now a member of the larger network, kind of like I, I assume uh, Pennsylvania has an arborist association that is ultimately a member of ISA, I, I assume. Yes, that's yeah, we right. Yeah, we have divisions. We have different um, divisions, yeah. And it's the same thing, but the key is building. Now, now why did those, those uh, arborist associations join them because they want to continue to learn and, and educate and be consistent in the understanding of tree care. And I hate to simplify this, but many people miss the value of this network. Uh, we're here to build a consistent message. Well, and I think that that's important within the, not only the uh, 
floriculture industry, but in the timber industry and the urban wood industry, that you have to have a standard that you live by or best practice so that everyone is aspiring to that best practice. Right, right. And you know, my, my biggest promise, I say this a lot, what differentiates urban lumber from traditional lumber and you'll never hear anyone criticize traditional forestry. You'll never hear us criticize harvesting. That's a good part of a, of a, of a, a forest management is harvesting. Uh, it's just not what we do. Uh, I'm in the recycling business and we're mm -hmm. using trees that, that had to be removed and were considered for the best use, the highest use. And, and in doing so, we're, we're encouraging arborists and municipal or, or private arborists to consider that tree. When it makes sense for you, keep it long, you know, keep those logs long and we can utilize them. But we, we do mill four foot, you know, four foot logs, but it has to make economic sense. You know, part of sustainability is making it long. You know, right, right. <laughs> so I do this to make a living. It just so happens that I'm, I'm pretty darn passionate about it at the same time. Dwayne, with the when you're milling four foot diameter logs, what's what what's your equipment? My business is uniquely structured. While my wife and I had the means to to open our own portable, you know, start a, a sawmill business and a retail business, demand wasn't quite there yet. So over that decade, I mentioned I, I formed multiple partnerships, and I work with a mill north of Milwaukee exclusively and they with me exclusively. And I generate a lot of logs, not for payment, but just as part of our outreach. That's the beautiful part of this. We help municipalities develop programs and plans and they, they support a, a relatively consistent supply of logs. We do the same thing in big, small municipalities, uh, big and small private harvest tree care companies and things. And this sawmill used to be a, a medium-sized traditional mill. So it's a circle mill with a very nice big old blade. It's very, very efficient. I would say 90% or more of our network members use a portable sawmill or a band sawmill. That's what we have, yeah. And, and, that is, and I actually had the honor of standing by one all day yesterday for a specialty milling job and I just had a ball. I didn't get to use it. They wouldn't let me use it. But I got to witness that that process and boy it's it's a it's a it's this romantic beautiful thing. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Well, with with the circle mill, which I'm assuming is the big circular blade, right? Mm -hmm. The what I always heard cuz we up uh North in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, is one of our only circle mills. Um, the concern or what we, the pushback we always got is don't bring your wood here. We don't want to hit the hardware in that and ruin a blade. Is that still a thing or is the technology varied a little bit? Sure, absolutely. The only technology involved there is a good metal detector. Mm -hmm. Yeah, big commercial mills don't, uh, you know, I believe they use some form of an x-ray machine of some kind before logs go through. Gotcha. The, the mill uses probably um, the one you see with people on the beach, but it's a real nice one. <laughs> you know, it's a very accurate one. 
as they say at the mill, if we don't find it here, the blade will. Mm -hmm. We'll find that piece of metal. But it, it's a reality that I have long accepted. The, 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 the success rate and the return outweighs that risk. Can you talk a little bit more about ash, just in terms of how it's getting used? Uh, does Major League Baseball still endorse ash, or did they walk away from that? Any other little anecdotes about how woodworkers like to use it? This is my opinion. This doesn't come from the forest, you know, the forest products laboratory in Madison. This is me. This is Dwayne. I'm a big fan of antiques. You, you learn a lot from the antiques about how furniture is made. And, and I, I do have furniture making in my, in my wheelhouse. You know, I, I wish I could do it for a living. And what I learned about ash is that you'll always see that as the interior drawer box of a cabinet because it's stable. It's reliable. It's, it's what I would call being from Missouri. You know, it's the workhorse. It's the one you turn to but it was a very unglorified wood. I think the old timers called it poor man's oak. The grain was very similar to, to oak, which was considered a premium wood, or it still is by some. And, and, and let's just say some, some thought that it just wasn't that pretty. Well, now with this abundance of wood and, and making and building furniture with it, it is my second favorite wood to use. I use a lot of hand tools and hand planes and things, or I used to a lot. It, it hand tools nicely, it machines nicely. Uh, you know what it's gonna do most of the time. And, it, and I do a lot of curved laminated hardwood furniture and it curves very nicely. Just like me, you know, I, I've always been a fan of the underdog. I love it for that reason. Let's, let's glorify this wood. And so um, in 2006 or seven, I was a member of the Chicago Furniture Designers Association. And we put on a, a pretty cool exhibit called Rising from Ashes. And it ended up traveling around the state and ultimately to the Furniture Society show. And the requirement was that you needed to use ash as your primary resource. Well, I loved that. Let's let it shine with these Heppelwhite style table and modern furniture and things. And, and that's where my heart stays for ash. So yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of ash and I'll say it was my second favorite. White oak to me is the best wood in the whole world. On rear to use hand tool, you know, hand, you know, hand plane than, than ash, but uh, yeah, white oak is a favorite. I recall a conversation I had with a subcontractor that we use early in 2021, in January, a big oak removal. And um, he was lamenting, and I guess the cost he's paying to haul that wood away on a triaxle, which is all, you know, his business. He and his son each have a tractor trailer that they run around picking up wood. But it sounded like the majority of it was going ultimately to a tub grinder for shredded bark. And you know, I hate, I'm going to say this out loud. Sometimes that's the best use economically. Uh, we 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 need it. Just cannot be the default decision. Ah, uh, well said. Yes. And well, it shouldn't be. I should say, it certainly can be. And many times, that's the most uh, economical way for a municipality to manage it. But we're steadfast in our pursuit. Many times they can say, well, the city of Milwaukee, for example. 
over a decade ago, I helped. Well, I, I basically entered, kept them posted for about three years about all the, the things that are happening with urban wood and finally got them up to the sawmill. And they, they, have a, they are committed to considering a tree for a higher use at the time of removal, but they containerize every, anything that they don't want to chip into these 30 cubic yard, let's just call it a dumpster. I, I say container, it sounds better. With the promise that they will include longer logs in there. And the mill that I work with accepts that material at no, no cost to them. The city pays to have that transferred up there. But this mill has the capacity to, to sort and, and determine what is chips, what is fuel wood, what is pulp wood, what are bolts, which are logs kind of too, too small to, to, to turn into lumber, but they have other purposes like pallets. And about 25% of what a city brings us is millable into lumber. And it's that lumber that pays for this whole experience, this whole episode. But the good part of the story is that Milwaukee cut their associated costs by 50% by doing that. So that's our flagship model. And, and smaller municipalities can, some, can most times experience at least cost savings or a cost neutral scenario. But so much of it has to do with, with attitudes. I know that sounds like a strong word, but how are we thinking about this? Are we thinking about what do we want and, and do we want to see this as an income source or do we need to get rid of it? Well, I'm a big fan of wiping your hands of it and let those who are committed build this idea. Well, when tree companies take, have a takedown and they're taking the trees back to their yards, that's where they should be storing them until they can bring a trailer load of them up to a mill exactly. so they reutilized and you know being in the tree business um, that's certainly something that could be collaborated on with other arborists who might not have the space in their area where they have their storage but if there's one central location that a whole group of arborists use and store it there until they have enough maybe it's a train car full that they can send off to uh, to a mill. We're working on that model right now. And I would say, you know, we have been for, for years and it's getting people to work together. And, you know, we're all wired to do things ourselves sometimes and, and put our mark on the world. And this urban wood effort requires so many people to come together. And that's why I always say it builds community. But one key element of what you just proposed, that excellent statement you just made, this, this is not necessarily a new idea. You know, people have been utilizing wood from these trees for a long time. And if a municipality or a tree service is, is experiencing some kind of benefit, whether it be cost savings or just stewardship or it helps their company look good and sustainable, there must be a d demand for that product, for those benefits to continue. And I'll say at this juncture that that, that is what, why UWN exists. If those arborists and municipalities are tied to this network, it strengthens us to help us build demand and vice versa. So we all win. The lumber industry, this is what I learned the very hard way for a decade. Lumber and, and wood products have been considered and specified much the same way for a century. In other words, when we need lumber, we are going to go get it. And because it's been graded and standardized so very well, which is a good thing for so long that we know what we're going to get. Well, 
now enter urban wood, which is controlled in every way by nature. The point of purchase is often different and it may take a different way of thinking to use it. So we're kind of, I don't want to say, well, we're, we're up against a lot. We're, we're, we're weeding through a lot of things like that. And, and that's why I use the word attitudes. So the projects that I work on, I spend, the, the wood is the easy part. The milling, easy, done. We do that very well. But when I speak to an architect or an interior designer or some other person with influence over the materials going into a product or a project, I talk more about trees. I start that conversation about the urban forest and the benefits that these living trees give us because the benefits they provided while living can continue on through the lumber from those trees and go right back to the community. So I get kind of tired of hearing the overused word, you know, triple bottom line. And, and my gosh, there's your triple bottom line right there. Yeah. And the other thing too, is that it's actually storing carbon. You're not, you're not getting rid of the, I mean, you're not putting the carbon into the atmosphere. You're actually storing it as a, as a usable functional product. And that's probably more valuable than anything else about it. Well, and you know, all wood does that. You know, wood wood has become also a bit foreign. Well, this you now this is going to be my opinion. My little company. Well, I'm, I'm, I call it kind of a little big company. I'm a little company that does big projects, and I'm not being critical of them. But there are many wood substitutes in in the design world and and and, and offerings, and that's a good sign of progress. That we're figuring things out, or or engineered wood, which can all which also is a good thing. But I was on a project one time where the the entire luxury unit, the gargantuan commercial building, was had a lot of um, I'm just going to call it plastic flooring, and the trim work was was an engineered project, and anything that could have been wood was not, except for my urban wood products. And commercial projects, especially, are move very fast. It's all about that bottom line, getting it built on time, getting it built quickly. So an architect and or their general contractor is going to choose a material they're very familiar with. Well, it wasn't urban wood necessarily that deterred them from my product. It was the fact that it was wood. So the result of, of wood substitutes is that our knowledge of basic fundamentals of using wood are also declining. So I'm up against a workforce that may not not always, may not be as schooled in using wood or appreciating it as it's installed. So in that scenario, my little company did the install. They were kind of too afraid to put their teams on it. So we did the installation. So I have to, and now I have to make, I, I am making by choice architectural woodwork, molded material because it's just not, well, it's available in other woods, you know, traditional lumber, of course, but in urban wood, it doesn't exist on the shelf. We we can make it. We can do anything in wood, and we <laughs> and we have done everything in wood, including plywood, including veneer. And in urban wood, uh, I don't want to say it's expensive, but you can imagine that a uh, a commercial logging operation sets up shop in this forest and removals and, and loading trucks becomes very efficient. 
we don't have one particular forest. We have a community that we encourage. Right. Man, yeah. So it sure. ends up just like anything recycled. Then we got to go through it. And so that results in a higher cost. As most, I think, recycled products are probably a little more expensive. Right. I don't put a lot of thought there because we price it very, we price it at a price we can sell it at. And I don't want to say this, but it is what it is. Here, Absolutely. Logs keep coming in. Um, we process it to the best of our ability and we make it offered. Now, people ask me, all the smart people I know ask me, well, how do you monetize urban wood? And I says, well, I'm trying. <laughs> I'm trying. Yeah. Once you have the model, you can share it. <laughs> yeah, that's another, that's the urban wood network. We're, we're helping well, and the Urban Wood Network, here's something that I thought was really fascinating is that, you know, somebody has a real close attachment to a tree within their community, or it's a historical tree, uh, they want to make something out of it and use it as a fundraiser. Those kind of things are invaluable for an organization that might want to uh, utilize that wood in a historical manner in that it could be something that could make money for an organization. Right. Uh, I know in our community here, a lot of the arboretums have uh, local woodworkers and they, they are making bowls and, and cutting boards and things like that from the wood that's left, left from the community, or it's a, it's a, it's a uh, historic tree that they're gonna do something with. And they're beautiful products. And people love the fact that it's from the old tree that was down on the corner that, you know, grandma knew when she came to the neighborhood, that kind of thing. That's the core of our industry right there. That's, that's, that's what it starts. And, and imagine, and I'm kind of smiling right now because that story is always with me because whether you sell a semi load of lumber, that story is still there. And, and many architects will recognize that. They want to know it. And, and Eva, you said it very eloquently in a podcast. I believe you said something to the effect of it's, it's about preserving that provenance of people with trees and plants, that human connection to that and that memory. And I, and I don't know if I said that correctly, but that really resonates with me. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to respond to that to say that while my product is used in a lot of glorified and, and high visible areas of a building, my favorite application is when it's used as a door jam or as a stair tread because it has a function and, and just as much as it does this beauty. There's a new building uh, certification out there called, well, it's not so new, but it's called WELL. And it's all about building healthy environments, W-E-L-L. And I'm not certain if it stands for anything, but it's called the Well Building Certification. And one of their requirements of the certification is that is that function, having a, 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 a sustainable or safe or healthy product that also serves an important function, such as a open stair tread, an open stairwell, or a door jam. So urban wood fits many, many of the, the requirements of these, uh, these building certifications, naturally. Dwayne, have you, have you had a chance to talk to International Society of Arboriculture chapters, uh, done some presentations and 
seeing if you could uh, book a few of uh, tree companies in to getting engaged with with the uh... on February 23rd we spoke we, we have spoken at our we've been involved with our local Wisconsin Arborist Association since about 2006 and we officially entered their agenda in 2009 and we've been there nearly every year since including February 23rd and this year we brought in our western region or UWN western region um, leader out there I, I think uh, their director and her name is Jennifer Alger uh, from California, where we have a, a budding and a growing, not a budding, but a very powerful urban wood network there. And she was our keynote speaker at our event. And then a local arborist who's very well respected in the area was a speaker. But then we had um, the icing on the cake was a gentleman by the name of Jordan Skiff, who serves the Wisconsin Urban Forestry Council, as I do. But he's also a member of the Governor's Council on Forestry. And you can imagine that his biggest role on that sec on the governor's council is Wisconsin traditional wood industry. And they are gradually, gradually recognizing this urban wood effort on and on. So we've gone from having a good idea back in 2009 and here we are to now we're a, uh, we're part of the agenda. This is part of being an arborist. This is part of caring for trees. Yeah, I think you need to be on the international circuit to speak to the International Society of Arboriculture when they have their international symposium, because this is something that needs to be heard globally. And, you know, we're, we're a global podcast where we have over 50 co countries now that we're in. And for people to hear this idea, maybe it's not a new idea, but the thing that is new about it is that you have galvanized yourselves to create this organization and to create standards for the urban wood like the regular forest products mm -hmm. are graded and i don't think people realize that you have been going through that process of coming up with standards for urban wood that make it that much more valuable to an architect or to uh, a home builder to understand that it has an incredible amount of value right. uh, because of where it's coming from. You know, and as a matter of fact, I'll, this is, might be a good time to mention this even, and, and how back in 2002, the U.S. Forest Service did a study and it was, it was reported that if captured and processed into lumber, all of this, or as defined, this urban lumber is across the U.S. Back in 2002, it could produce nearly uh, 4 billion board feet of lumber every annually. And that's about 30%, I'm told, of what the U.S. was producing commercially at the time. Today, that number is just over 7 billion board feet. And 7 billion board feet to put that number into perspective, could create about 125 million average-sized kitchen tables. That is what motivates me. So when I talk to a small arborist, a homeowner, a large municipality, to you all, I have 7 billion board feet in my mind. 
And that's why I mentioned things like door jams and stair treads and things like that. And so, um, you know, worldwide, I don't know what Europe's numbers are or, you know, and uh, in, in other places what their numbers are, but it doesn't necessarily matter to me right now because it's all about simply being a good steward. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think that that's part of the whole, I think that's what we need to think about for the future because with our incredible ability to waste things, we need to have that same incredible ability to salvage things. And in order to do that, we need to put our thinking caps on and think outside the box. And we need to be really resilient in, in creating these ideas. And I think that you're gonna see, even, even artists just recently during COVID, they had a desk shortage for all these children that were, that were at home and they didn't have their desks for their little computers that were given to them. Right. Now, and people, people were creative enough to come up with scrap lumber to create these desks. And there's a good example how urban wood could be utilized creating these small desks for children that they could they can work from home and there's just a myriad of things that could be done with the wood if we can think outside the box and not have to wait for a pandemic to right. to make us think and, and to keep that edge and that thought moving forward and you know when i step into an architectural firm it's controlled chaos it's busy it's very competitive and because of my personality, you know, I don't come in all blaze and glory. I, I really want to educate them. And it's, and it's about changing the way that you don't have to slow down and stop and use urban wood. You can help be a part of the solution. And that is so backwards when I speak to different marketing companies, you know, over the years. I, and, and Eva, I shared this with you recently. One of the, the marketing companies that I recently worked with, um, was was flustered with me uh, understandably <laughs> and i remember the day she took her glasses off and she looked at me and she says "Dwayne, do you want to sell wood or do you want to change the world because i kept on preferring to be an educator when in my and i said well i said i i i have to do both not not that it's up to me to change the world of course but it's not about the sale right then and tomorrow. It's about the sale coming down the line. And for anyone interested in getting into urban wood, I know of all things, you cannot do it alone. You must know how to meet with the source of your logs. You must have a, a, a standard. You must have all of these things because now I've created an influx of logs. So I wake up thinking about that every day and they keep coming in and they will keep coming in, but we have to get demand up. And that means getting folks to, you know, I call it amazon.com syndrome, you know, it's just push the button and we're going to get it right now. And I do that too, but wood takes that 180 degree thought process. Well, let's, Let's consider this because it is going to contribute to our community, to our local economy. 
to our story. And one day it will become normal like recycling is, you know, right now for most of us. Well, something that you just said that, you know, the, the woman said to you that you were uh, educating or teaching. And I think, uh, I think that that's a really good analogy because I always think that, you know, as a teacher, you don't know whether your students are getting it until down the line. And you don't know who and what they're going to be until years later. And when you do finally get to see those former students of yours, because I, you know, as a teacher, I get to see these students and I think to myself, wow, I, I didn't know that that, you know, that was going to happen or I couldn't see it. But boy, am I glad that I know that person because, you know, you learn, you learn down the line and you can't be one of those people that has to have immediate gratification in this particular industry. You have to be patient and wait for the rewards, like the interest in a bank account. Right. That makes me feel good, Eva. Thank you for that. Um, You're welcome. Well, you deserve it because you have this incredible way about presenting wood in a way that other people can't because you have that passion for it. Like I teach my passion is horticulture. Your passion is the wood that you make something from. And each teacher has their own um, vehicle, if you will. And, and having that vehicle for people to understand is, is critical for our environment down the line. And it's important for me as a business owner too, I, uh, I, I, I supplied a pretty significant project here in Milwaukee and um, I was very successful at making certain that the architect and owners transferred their design vision down to the general contractor because many times the general contractor will be afraid of something new and have great influence over the materials. For example, they won't use it. So I felt I was pretty successful at that and uh, Urban Wood, my product showed up alongside everybody else's products on the, the multiple times we were there. And, and just to kind of further explain my point, it, it wasn't something weird. It wasn't something that was difficult or, oh gosh, we got to get these special things in here for wood. It showed up into the bowels of this big building and was offloaded using a regular forklift and there it sat ready to be installed. And that had a very big impact on me. And that is my mission as a business to number one, provide exceptional service, but that's because I'm really standing up for urban wood. I, it's gotta just, it can't be too, too difficult. Now I want to point out here and not just talk about what I do, the core of our, of our business, even something that you said earlier about that yard tree, that can then go back into that home and be a table or something of, of meaning and use in that home. That's the core of our members who are fine furniture makers. But imagine what will happen, and it's happening now. As we reach mainstream designers and, and, and manufacturers, they're gonna have to find these makers because we don't exist in big giant plants and, and, and manufacturing facilities. So the work that I do and focus on to kind of step into the mainstream world, lack of a better term, it trickles down. So we work very hard to let this interior designer know that you may not be able to push a button 
and order this project, guess what? You might have to call this, this person. You might have to talk to them on the phone. And so that, that's a very beautiful thing because these smaller makers have sometimes made 16 tables for me for a commercial project. Or, or they filled that bill. You talk about community and sustainability right there. There's, there it is. And it's just the way it works. We're not trying to do it that way. That is the way it works. And because we are the Planet Trillion Trees podcast, uh, we know how important it is to plant and to look to the future. But at some point, these trees are going to come down and they're going to have to be utilized. And what better way to utilize them than through the urban wood network? Right. And, and you know, I'm, I'm so glad that, that you brought us back in line with why we're really here. And I'm very proud of something, and, and it's one of my favorite phrases to say, but the, the tagline of the Urban Wood Network is trees first, wood next. Mm. If you heard me say earlier, harvest is not a bad word. It's just not what we do. And a tree is going to have its greatest value while it's living. And in Wisconsin Urban Wood, where the, the chapter of UWN that I also belong to, obviously, um, we were asked to do a big, pretty big planting project one time to demonstrate that trees had been removed from this city area out in Madison or this, this business. I, I really don't, don't recall. And we took part, some of our members took part in, in replanting that. My company, just recently, within a month, now has a tree fund percentage of my annual sales will go to and work with a, a, a particular nursery and uh, we'll decide if it goes to perhaps a school project or things like that. So it's not a, it's not a way to just shine a little bit more. It's the reality of what we do because my business won't be here like any other wood industry if we don't plant. Well, and that's, that's, the, that's where the truth lies. You know, you, you can't, and I think you're going to enjoy our uh, our podcast with a gentleman from the Netherlands who who uh, works with the tiny forest project, and these tiny forests are being built in, on you know the size of a tennis court, and they can have up to like 500 different species within that within that um, realm, uh, but these tiny forests in urban areas are critical for the health of a community and for the health of children who have not had the connection with a, a woodland, for example. And so the, kind of the, the whole circle's there. So connecting with maybe the tiny forest project might be something that the Urban Wood Network, <laughs> maybe the Urban Wood Network would like to do. A really fascinating organization in the Netherlands and, and throughout Europe. So. It was a real pleasure having you on our show. We know what your favorite tree is because you told us mm -hmm. your favorite wood, mm -hmm. white oak. Yes, yes ma'am. Ash comes second, so we've got second. that one right now. <laughs> is Norway maple on the top five? We have a lot of it. I'll say. Can you that. quickly tell us about that? I don't want to run over Eva, but I'm. I know that it's a big Midwestern tree. How does that shake out? And do architects like it? And well, um, I'm going to answer you, and it's going to sound kind of kind of rude, and maybe not an answer. We, a lot of it comes out of, of 
municipal area, you know, urban area. Um, whether they like it or not, we have it. Now, call that arrogant, it's not. But many times when, I, when an architect or another designer or someone calls for a particular wood species, it's usually oak because they're used to that. Or they, or they say they want maple, but we don't have urban wood available. Like my company may not have that available. Maybe nature didn't give that to us yet. But then I learned that they're going to stain it nearly black. Well, could you use another wood species? So I'm not being difficult and not answering your, your question, but remember, we take what nature gives us and we do the best we can with it. I love it. So I, again, don't misunderstand that, but I just meaning, yeah. I, I try to get them to like whatever we have here. <laughs> it's actually the trees aren't bad. It's just how we view them and where they wind up, where they plant themselves that make them naughty. <laughs> <laughs> right. And you know, uh, hackberry is another beautiful wood. Yes. Yes. In this area. And I actually have some here as samples just in case. But again, I can't say, do you want hackberry? We're going to have hackberry. Right. And you know, that's that's a wood that you don't hear too much about. And it, it, it they're planting it more and more in our city of Philadelphia. Um, and it, Celtis occidentalis, in case anybody wants to know the Latin name. Uh, but hackberry uh, is a really tough tree. And it also attracts a lot of insects and, you know, pollinators and uh, all kinds, and also a lot of birds. And you don't really hear about it too much in the wood industry. No, but it is a really nice blonde, uh, tight grain. The other quick story, Dwayne. So we have about 25 to 30 employees throughout the year. And two of, of our guys, a foreman and a guy that's kind of moving up the ranks, both have a history in baseball. In fact, one guy is down trying to catch on now. But um, they have a uh, wood lake. And so the business they're starting is called Bigfoot Bats. So they really have a strong vision on uh, the wood that's coming in. And it did, of course, we started the year taking down a giant hickory, which had to come down. So they're in good supply uh, to, um, to get moving on making baseball bats. And, you know, I hear it's uh, quite lucrative if you start selling your bats to major league players. You're going to get a, a nice payoff. Yeah, I wish I could answer and tell you. But I know they moved to maple at one point. I think it is mostly maple. Yeah, and and uh, but that's you're you're. Uh, I'm not a big sports guy. Uh, urban wood has taken over all of my interest gladly. That's not a bad thing. Not a bad thing at all. Well, we're delighted that you could be with us today. Oh, and I know our, visit, our listeners are going to love the topic. If they haven't heard anything about Urban Wood, now they have. And uh, we wish you continued success. I know we'll be talking soon. And how can uh, listeners find you, Dwayne? Yes. The, the main reason I, I'm really here is to talk about the Urban Wood Network. And uh, we are the, the Urban Wood Network's website is urbanwoodnetwork.org, O-R-G. And of course, the name of my company is Woodward Urban Forest Products. And Woodward has a unique spelling, of course, uh, W-U-D-E-W-A-R-D.com. 
but I can be found and many of the other wonderful people across the country, if not the world, can be all found on the Urban Wood Network website. Fantastic. Including our company, including, including, yeah, including my, my company, my colleague and I, uh, we are, um, we were the first in Pennsylvania to belong and we are advocates for the organization. So we feel really blessed that we had made the connection with you. Well, likewise. We just love your company and your organization. Well, thank you so very much. And, and, uh, and it's all of our organizations. We're, we're one big giant body of people. And uh, uh, it's a real honor to be a part of, of what we'll call full circle urban forestry. Well said. Super. Thanks so Thanks much. Thanks again, Dwayne. So very much. Thank okay, you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Thank you.